This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey everyone, Yas here, and I just wanted to say it's great to have you join me today because I'm sure we're going to have another fantastic episode. So whether you're here for the first time or if you're one of the repeat loyal listeners of the show, I truly appreciate you. But before we get to today's guest, I just have a small favour to ask, and that's if you could just take a brief moment to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Ensure that you share it with all your coaching friends, and don't forget to get in touch, guys. Let me know your thoughts on what you think of today's episode or any of the recent episodes you've listened to. You can do this on Twitter at the Coaches Net. Once again, that's at the Coaches Net, and please make sure you do, as I'd love to hear your thoughts, guys. Anyway, on to today's show. I hope you enjoy it. Have a great day, guys. The Coaches Network. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA licensed football coach, coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Good. How are you, Alex? I'm really good, thank you. How are you? Very well, thank you. And I'm really looking forward to this one. Um, before we, you know, let's just dive straight in, Alex, you know, let's get to the thick of it. Before we do, though, I just want to give uh, an opportunity for you to have a brief intro around who you are, what you do, and then we can go from there. Yeah, so I'm currently a lecturer at the University of Canberra. I um, finished my PhD in skill acquisition as early as December last year, so it's still uh, sitting on my desk at home. Um, very proud achievement. And um, I've primarily spent a lot of my working time in cricket and have a big passion for cricket, but um Upon stumbling on skill acquisition, I've tried to spend as much time in as many sports as possible. So I think I counted them the other day, at least 15 or 16 different sports and um, pretty much been coaching since I was 14 years old. So there's a, almost a decade there as well. That's incredible. I mean, start, starting at 14, what, you know, what, before we get into the thick of it, what, what took you into coaching <laughs> really at, at such a young age? Uh, we used to have those entry-level cricket programs. It, can call it a million things but I think the most popular one was kanga cricket and it was classic bats you know backyard cricket style uh, where clubs would actually run the programs to try and get kids to come and play cricket for the first time and I remember these like very aggressive coaches just grabbing people's arms and shoving them straight up in the air and be like this is how you should bowl and even as a little kid I thought that can't be right <laughs> uh, so I jumped in as a volunteer um, to try and like have a conversation with these children about like why they're here and how to find a different way to sort of get them to learn the fundamental skills of cricket as they call them um, and from there I ended up being a coordinator so at about 17 I ended up running the centres and teaching other coaches how to run those activities to try and get kids to, to learn the skills but also enjoy it at the same time and not feel so much like a puppet on strings. It's really interesting obviously you know it, it, it just really just puts the question out there do 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 players actually pay attention to their coaches from such a young age and I think I think you're spot on I think I think you're right um, they do and it's almost like a, even at a young age a player would know whether a coach is even you know you're given an example of maybe some technical stuff there around actually body positioning and mechanics and things like that but in any aspect I think coaches need to give give young players young athletes more credit for what they maybe mm. do or don't know I think often we can kind of you know I've had conversations with so many coaches in the past where they know they've kind of if you like tried to get away with doing something that wasn't quite right that they thought the parents or even the players wouldn't clock onto and it's like well I've, I think you're not giving them enough credit so that's a really interesting point that you've made there so, you know, you talked, obviously, you know, you're moving into your PhD, um, such a young age to complete one. So congratulations on that. Um, Thanks. What took you into skill acquisition? Well, what I mean, there is a... pause you for a second. Let's start by getting your def definition of what skill acquisition actually is, and then we'll talk about that. 
Yeah, so to me, skill acquisition, and I think it's probably misled almost by the language, but I'm sticking by it because I think it's important to understand what it really means. Um, this idea that we acquire skills like it's monopoly money, like we can trade something for something else, and that happens to be like a conversation with a coach or maybe a direct instruction for a coach. I don't necessarily see skill acquisition as a process of acquiring something. It's more navigating the world in a way that you get to learn something new. And when people ask me, like, what do you do for a living? And I tell them a skill acquisition specialist, I get the blankest stare. So I don't even wait anymore. I immediately follow it up with, like, I help people learn things. Like, that, <laughs> that is the most, like, one-liner I can think of for a skill acquisition specialist. I help you learn. You want to learn something, anything? I have the skills to help you do that. And, and I'm better in some contexts than others and that's perfectly fine you wouldn't expect someone to be completely skilled in everything but I think that we stop learning so early on in our sporting careers or even just academically um, that to say that there is someone who can help you learn is a really confronting thing like what do you mean I don't know how to read a journal article or find you know type something into Google how hard could it be to learn something um, but it is the premise of like how do we create the right environments how do we you know help people understand what they're capable of and Whenever I have to speak in you know, important events or even like TED style talks, I always use this idea that we all have potential to unlock. We all have a talent to unlock. We're just not very good at finding what it is because we're so narrow in our search sometimes that we don't even look in the places that we find are passionate about or the things that capture our attention, which is probably one of my favorite sayings at the moment. Um, so yeah, I think that's skill acquisition is, is learning something um, and, and creating the right space for people to feel capable and challenged and to keep learning. I think, I think you've summed it up really well, um, very aligned to how I view it. But I think one of the key things that's really come out from what you said there is, you don't need to know everything to teach everything. Um, because it's a process of supporting the learning aspect of things rather than actually giving the knowledge mm. itself uh, and maybe raising your awareness and attention to certain aspects that are going on within the process. So, you know, I, th I think that's really important because obviously there's a lot of coaches out there who'd be thinking, well, if I don't know how to use it, or rather if I don't know, have all the knowledge, how am I going to how am I going to become someone who can become, you know, on on route to a skill acquisition ex expert or a specialist in that mm. respect? So. Maybe maybe just talk a little bit about how important it is just to address what you're actually strong at or your strengths are and what your areas of development might be and how that shouldn't necessarily have an impact on your ability to become um, an effective skill, skill acquisition practitioner, if you like. Yeah, and I think it's a really good place to start in the conversation because um, <laughs> we are so attached to this idea of expertise and our ability to then translate or maybe even <laughs> I always use the the very vulgar term of like shove ideas down people's throats like that because I know something I must give this to you and the only way to do that is to force feed you and I think we forget that there is a there are frameworks for how we learn otherwise we wouldn't have teachers and so we can adapt those frameworks to the athlete experience to the learner experience in any context um, and I like to preface that when I'm coaching that um, even with like uh, I recently coached eight-year-olds and I started the conversation with them to say like yes look I might look like I can do a lot of these skills but that doesn't matter because how I do these skills is going to be completely different to how you do them and that's what I want you to think think about it's not whether or not I can bowl or bat or field or whatever I will jump in if you are absolutely lost and have no idea what something is like where to start then I can give you a, dem a demonstration but that is like for me that's the last result because I don't want them to attach onto my motor patterns as if that's the be all and end all and that, that power dynamic is really important it's really interesting because obviously for a lot of coaches they'll be thinking no there is a there is a technique to do to do an xyz there is a way to kind of um or is it best practice if you like for xyz um what what, what would you say thinking well how do, I, how do i get that to happen how do i get that to happen how do i how do i ensure that i support that learning process without necessarily um going in and instructing or directing how it should look 
Yeah, in skill acquisition, we talk about guiding attention, which I think um, is a nice starting point, but can leave coaches really lost because they um, it's very easy to assume that an athlete is attending to the right things. But the way that we structure our learning environments tells them what to pay attention to in the first place. So, for example, if we don't have a, a defender in a position where they would normally be during a game, we might see changes in behaviour that we weren't expecting because they're acting as if that person is not there. Or there might be some people who are capable of sort of projecting and thinking, well, realistically, I would normally have someone on my outside here before I move. So I have to worry about that first, even though that space is empty at training and you've intentionally left it empty. They might behave as if there is somebody there and they're thinking about this is what I would do in a game. Um, the, the younger you get, the more you have to kind of structure the learning environment to let them find multiple ways of solving a problem. And we find bowling techniques to be one of those things where you need to be safe before you can explore. And we have a conversation about what's the difference between moving in a, in a way that hurts you and, and moving in a way that doesn't. And most people are quite aware, like you have to have a straight arm in cricket when you bowl. Um, and so we use constraints or we manipulate the things in our environment and we meet the player where they're at in terms of their current skill set to make them think that using a straight arm to project the ball is a pattern that they can actually use. And sometimes that means using different sized balls or different weighted balls. I've used those big tennis ball style, like footballs before to kind of get kids to rock around and explore what it feels like to throw something with a bent arm versus a straight arm. And not all of these activities work. Like I've definitely said things that are way too hard for little children trying to sort of scale down in the right way versus the adults and the you know, 17 year olds that I normally coach. And it doesn't work perfectly, but as long as long as they're giggling, I know I'm on the right track and I can kind of go from there back to the technical things that they need to be capable of doing before they can effectively play the match. And that's kind of your skill as a coach is to understand, well, what can what am I ultimately trying to get them to do? It's to bowl the ball on the pitch with a straight arm in a way that doesn't hurt themselves. That's it. Like you don't have any more parameters than that. And it's your now your job to try and put the rules and the principles back in so that they can explore, but they do end up in a space that relatively looks like the skill that we're aiming for. I'm not saying leave it completely wide open. We all need barriers. If you've ever tried to write on a blank page, we all know that we need a direction first before we can become the people we want to be. But it is about, you know, setting the right boundary and understanding what those boundaries can do to people when you set them. And, and that's kind of the role of the skill acquisition specialist versus the coach themselves. Just, just going back to the example that you gave earlier about, you know, that player being in that space where you've opened, you know, you left open. Um, what if that's a consideration that they should be making and they're not currently making? Would you not? Would you not advise coaches to maybe bring their attention and awareness to that piece and maybe explore with them right, what might be there? How would that impact? Because you know, I, I, I get the scenario and I fully get it. And, I, and it's some of, one of the things that I'm kind of really big on in my own practice, and I kind of, if you like, preach to other coaches is. <clears throat> Not that it's not beneficial, it doesn't have benefits, but for me, unopposed practice, as an example, it, it surely is not the most efficient way of working because mm. you're not interacting with the game-like variables, you're not interacting with any of the variables, in fact, that are consistent with that of the game. However, if we use your example as a, uh, for a second, in some ways you can argue that there's, that there's an unopposed element to that because that space would, would, you know, would otherwise be occupied. At which point it's almost right. If I'm reacting in a way where I'm responding to what should be there, then it still somewhat meets the demands of, of, of learning in that environment, if you like. And I guess, yeah, you know, coming back to my question is, would you bring the attention of the athlete to those variables or would you say, right, let's see what they go on and get get on with? Because I'm quite I'm quite of the opinion that if it is unopposed, as a bare minimum, we need to bring that context to it. Yeah, and I do think context is one of the things where we can verbally introduce um, if we don't have the capacity to have someone to fill that space. And I'm like working in the community, we don't have the spare players all the time to act as this defender 
Um, and we might not have the time to constantly, you know, mentor that defender to act in a particular way if there is a very specific outcome that you're looking for within the activity. Um, but I do think it can be as simple as you standing there as a coach and occupying that space. And if that's something that you want them to be able to respond to, then that's a conversation you can start to have because us standing on the sidelines, we are only ever looking at it as if we are at home on the couch watching the game. That is the only impact and perspective that you have. So it's not until you tap into that player experience that you can truly understand what they're paying attention to and I find coaches find it really hard to know what questions to ask when we're experiencing questioning for the first time or exploring it ourselves because a lot of people are comparing what they think should happen and and almost dragging the player along until they give them that the answer that they're looking for rather than genuinely paying attention to what they're paying attention to I'm I'm amazed at the amount of times an eight-year-old has floored me in their perspective because you know, it's very easy to assume, like, what would an eight-year-old know about cricket versus, you know, my career has been longer than they've been alive. And they do. They see the world so differently. And we need to be curious and open enough to have that conversation genuinely rather than just fishing for answers. I think I think, yeah, I think it's great what you said. So, I mean, I, I, just to give a bit more context, I work in coach development myself. And <clears throat> I went out to observe a couple of coaches recently and while one of them was working i was i was with the other one kind of observing the session we just kind of highlighting some key things to maybe look out for and one of the key things is exactly what you've just said there around and what i referred to was right listen to the questions is the coach seeking seeking for answers or searching for information now when they're seeking for answers, exactly how you describe it, you know, we're trying to drag the athletes to a particular point or to a. And in some cases, you don't even actually let the athlete answer the question. You answer the question for them. You ask the question. They don't quite understand the yeah. question, um, and you know, you just fill in the fill in the gap. But I think the key is what you said about being curious and actually searching for that information, really checking the understanding, but more importantly, checking the perception of what the player understood from the question or what the players understood from the situation, whether they even can recall the moment in question, um, which I think is which I think is a huge thing that I've kind of looked at. And I was delivering on a course the other day, and one of the key things I was really challenging the coaches to do was thinking, right, if you're going to be using the Q&A approach, I'm all for it. But think about the quality of your questions and think about what your question's actually trying to ascertain for you. Is it, like I said, seeking that answer or is it searching for the information? And if you want to search for information, you have to be more considerate of what information you actually are going after so that you can ask now better prepared questions to align with that. So on the note that you've just made, are there any key questions that you'd ask coaches to consider exploring first? Yeah, if anything, it'd be... Please don't ask someone why they did something in that tone of voice. Like, why did you do that? Because as an anxious person myself, I would immediately question every decision I have made in the last 24 hours. So it's also about like delivery and tone, not just the question itself. But I think when you are curious, you you pose your questions in a different way. And we have to remember because we're not the person perceiving, because we're only watching this unfold in front of us. Um a lot of the interactions that they're having aren't conscious decisions. It's not like there's a light bulb that goes up in your head and goes, I'm going to make this decision right now. Like they might not be able to tell you because they can't verbalize what just happened. So if they can't remember the moment or they can't give you a straight answer, it's maybe because they didn't even think about it in the first place. That came purely from the way that they're interacting with the task, with their own skill set, with their teammates, with the environment. There are so many things happening at the same time that they may not have made a conscious decision because they didn't need to. They're already comfortable interacting in that particular scenario. So if we think about questions that we wanted to ask, you'd be like, you know, what what prompted you to do that particular thing? Um, is there a reason why you chose to do this instead of, you know, last time you did this? Is there a reason why you changed that? Or this time you passed to this person, this person, why'd you pick them? 
And again, tone is very important when we ask why questions or, or like, you know, what were you looking for? Isn't necessarily a good question because we're not only using our eyes to see. And, and something I learned through my PhD is, you know, how vision based uh, questions usually are when we talk about perceiving. Um, so it's just necessarily about looking but also like what did you feel in the moment like where was your attention is probably my favorite question nowadays because they might be paying attention to the plane in the sky versus the activity and that's when you know that you have not designed an engaging activity 100 i'm so glad you mentioned that because one of the things that i've been playing around with the last couple of years in particular is asking players exactly just that how did you feel when you did that and mm. i i even sometimes try to go a step further and if you like and if they, if I recognise that maybe what they're exploring right now is a new experience, i.e. a new technique or whatever it might be, or maybe they've given given them, or they've been given some guidance or some references around it, adapting their technique. Um, one of the key questions I ask them is, well, well, I want you to pay attention to how that makes you feel, and if it feels uncomfortable, I want you to recognise whether it's uncomfortable because it's new, or uncomfortable because it doesn't feel right. Just to really get them in touch with that kind of. You know, if you like that mind body connection sort of thing, because um, at the end of the day, there is going to be things that some players or some athletes will, you know, gravitate towards and some that don't because it just doesn't feel comfortable for them, which is fine. So, but one one of the questions you asked, obviously, is what, you know, what were you paying attention to? And even before that, you mentioned that whether whether they were even thinking about it. Now, maybe this is my naivety but I, I like to believe that everyone is thinking about it whether consciously or subconsciously they just haven't they have they just haven't maybe thought about what they're actually thinking about if you like <laughs> um so I, I you know I, I like I work really hard to try and get to the bottom of that is it what are we actually paying attention to and if you were to reflect back on it although it's subconscious now how, what if you were to make it conscious what would those variables be I don't know what your thoughts are on that yeah, and I think it's it's almost like what would you if you could try it again, what would you pay attention to now? Like would you potentially scan for something that you didn't notice was there before? And I love pulling players aside to almost coach with me. And I found that that's a really cool way to give them perspective when they see an activity unfolding, especially if they're very uncomfortable or anxious or having a really high emotional response to what's happening. Sometimes it's nice just to give them the perspective that I have from the sideline so they can kind of scope out what's happening before they throw themselves back into it. And so even just standing from the sidelines, I love to have conversations with them as if they're like my little assistant coach and we're running the session together. Like, what would you do next? Like this, beha this behavior is happening right now. Is that something that you think we would do on game day? Like, yes, maybe no, maybe sometimes. And you kind of go from there as to whether or not you need to change this activity because it's not really working for you. It's not working for them either. Or maybe you can pivot to a particular constraint, like a, an instruction, a new rule, something to introduce change, to adapt to the person that is now not engaging because you've set the bar a little too high to start with. And it can take a... It's a bit of humility to realize that you're not catering for everybody. Um, but if you develop those relationships like really genuinely and strongly, then athletes shouldn't feel bad about telling you like this is too much. Um, and we're trying to come up with ways to experience and communicate that um, so that we don't set the bar too high too many times. So I like to ask players as they arrive, like how much challenge do they want today? And we will set up a whiteboard with magnets so they can anonymously tell me like, like how hard they want the session to be and we go from there. So, I mean, a lot, a lot, a lot of what you're saying kind of really resonates well with me because I, I really like to build that interaction with the players and I love the way you've said it, you know, they can coach with me. Um, in fact, you know, and, and this, I think this is some, sometimes where it can get lost in translation around what's a player-centred uh, um, element of coaching, what's a player-led element of coaching. And I think for me, you know, in, in the environments that I work in, if, I, if someone was to ask me, what's my coaching philosophy? What's my vision? Well, my vision is to try and get to a point where I'm developing players to become interdependent. Um, so not solely independent in the fact that they're just doing it, making all the decisions by themselves, not because I don't believe they can, but more more specifically, if they if you leave them to their own devices, that's all they've got. Whereas if they're dependent, obviously they're fully dependent on me and any relying on anyone else giving them the information. Whereas if we're interdependent, the way I look at it is right, I want to get them to be 
comfortable to recognize and understand and be aware of the fact that actually I have an idea about this, but I'm also confident enough to speak to my coach and say, actually, can you unpack this with me? And that, that's kind of the kind of, you know, where, where I like to try and get some of the athletes that I work with. So, but there's going to be a lot of people listening to, to what we've said and, you know, and be like, you know, well, this all sounds great. We want the players to think, think for themselves. We want the players to explore. We want the players to, you know, come up with their own uh, strategies and solutions for problems. But the question is, well, how do we get there? Because yeah, I, I think with skill acquisition in particular, or just this element of, of athlete and talent development in, in particular, um, probably doesn't really get uh, start to get bled into any of the coach education pieces until 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 you until you get a little bit higher up the ladder. Possibly, you know, maybe some elements of level three qualification, possibly more predominantly level four qualifications, where this really starts to come into play. But my 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 uh, challenging question for coaches to think about is. Why wait for the coach education? Why not just go after This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The research why not do your own do your, do your own education so i guess for those people who are in that boat listening to this right now what would your advice be to them to start with i think it's probably and this is something i discovered recently um after tiago forte's book about building a second brain it's um what are your favorite problems and how do you think about solving them so i literally have a list of questions that i may never have the answer to and they're big questions like you know should we identify or develop talent over you know for olympic medals what's the best way to do that um and so i think it's worth identifying for your athletes like what is what are their favorite problems what are the things that they are constantly up against and then how can we recreate them in a way that is just challenging enough to get them on board and keen to solve and not so challenging that it completely turns them off the rest of the session? And if you can sort of create almost like your own guidebook of those what those problems look like in practice and recreate them in training sessions, then you're already setting yourself up for scaffolding and task simplification and those are you know two very high level concepts that we use in skill acquisition but in practice they don't have to be difficult it's just very hard to wrap your head around the concepts to begin with so if we start with scaffolding and I'm sure many coaches do this already without realizing it's scaffolding it's just making sure that they're stepping stones towards a desired outcome are just far enough that they can reach so almost playing hopscotch rather than walking across a bridge so they're just hopping from one station to the next and we're progressively making it a little more difficult and more challenging and more complex. 
And often we find that the more that we do that, the more representative of the game that we're playing. So sometimes we'll add in you know, more defenders. We'll maybe add in an overlay so it's more complex and more problems to solve at once. But we do need to start at a point where they do feel capable and experience enough success to recognize that they are capable of, of making that next step, of hopping into the unknown for a little bit, knowing that they can navigate it even while they can't see what's happening. And the other one is task simplification rather than decomposition. And this idea that we have key elements of our game and our tasks that we want to keep together so that we're not developing them in isolation from what actually or they're doing on game day what are the demands of playing the game and that's one of the most difficult things to do because we have to recognize the millions of relationships that are happening on game day even in something as simple as under tens on the weekend and some of those things are the presence of a defender of the context of the game of who your teammates are and how they respond to a problem as well of what the score is if someone's yelling on the sideline like what's the mood of the coach on the day so many things to consider that we can sort of recreate in bite-sized pieces at training but those relationships still have to exist we don't want to take out information that we would expect players to act upon on game day i think it's a really really key point that you made and one of the things that kind of just jumped out at me as you were speaking especially about the progression piece because it's a bit of a bugbear of mine a bit of a pet hate is that when coaches um align the word progression to just the variation of the practice or the exercise and rather than actually um, relating it to the complexity of what the challenge is asking of the players. And I think that's a really key piece in what you mentioned in that actually we need to make sure that we're making it more complex and more challenging for the individuals without moving away from the representative piece of the game. So are the variables consistent? Are they still in there? And, you know, and those relationships that you talked about, I think is, is a great way to look at it as well, because I see so many coaches at times where they say, well, as an example, we're working on, I don't know, transition. Okay, but just, yeah. Many coaches believe that just because it's got the pure of a transition within the practice, that it is focusing on transition or that you're working on transition. And I'm saying, well, yeah, but that's not how transition looks in a game. Therefore, how is that really working on transition in a game? And maybe we should just get coaches to go with the mind frame of, right, whatever the topic is, uh, or the theme of the session is, can you finish that sentence off by saying in the game, transition in the game? And if, it, if you can't finish that sentence off within the game, then it's probably not real enough. So, I mean, again, again you know, I think coaches are going to be listening to people. Yeah, it sounds great, but um, how do I know what the variables? And I think this is where some of the challenges come as well, because a lot of the coaches, especially at the earlier and earlier stage of their coaching journeys, maybe don't have full insight or full awareness of what those variables could or may be. Do you have any suggestions as to how coaches can develop maybe an observational framework around some of those things? Yeah, absolutely. If anything, that's something we've gotten slightly better at in skill acquisition is, you know, designing tables and encouraging coaches to turn around and think about, you know, what would they expect to happen in a game environment? And, you know, can we recreate those things in you know, very minuscule ways, like maybe it's just the way that the player receives the ball. And that sounds like a very small thing, but there is a big difference when you're receiving a pass from a teammate versus somebody rolling the ball towards you versus the coach putting the ball into play for you. Like you're not having the same experience as an athlete over across those three different scenarios. And so something is just the ball, the presence of the ball and what's happening with the ball can completely change the athlete experience and the, the learning that comes as a result. Um, if you never let them do the throw-ins themselves, if you never let them take the corners, then how on earth are they going to know how to respond when their teammate is the one taking it instead of you as a coach, you could probably do it with your eyes closed. So it's a, about yeah and observational frameworks do exist we have some amazing resources at the moment um, about identifying constraints and what they look like um, and there are some great examples in various sports um, but the best person for football without a doubt is Marco Sullivan and he has developed an, a framework that helps you identify starting points for those relationships and those conversations so the ball is one of them the context is another teammates and defenders and if we think about just those relationships in themselves, there's a lot happening in each one of them. And the first thing I like to do with a sport is actually sit down and try to develop 
a list of everything that is happening and all of the particular scenarios that I might find difficult as a new player and then ask somebody who has been there a million years and then see what their perspective is about what the challenges are that they face on game day. And if we can have sort of bottom versus the top spectrum, we can sort of work in between and almost plan for ourselves as coaches what our progression should look like between a novice player and an advanced player. I think it's a great point in there as well that just to highlight that the game does look different for everyone. Where it, you know, based on the level of you know the, the athlete themselves, and even for us as looking at as coaches, so I guess within those frameworks, coaches need to start their observations from somewhere. So I think you know, I think you made a great, great point about you know maybe leaning on someone who's been there for a million years, um, <laughs> just to try and get another insight on it. But I think one of the challenges for obviously coaches as well is recognizing well. It's interesting, it's a question that actually came up from recently. How do I know if it's right? How do I know if it's right? And I think it, it, the key question you asked was, well, what do you what do you notice about the game? And I think I find that a lot of coaches tend to pay attention really to the immediate action of what's happening in and around maybe the ball and, mm. and not considering the other things that actually are variables that impact on everything else that's going on. So for instance, the distance of the opposition, distance of our own teammates, um, you know whether the you know body shapes body positions where they're facing and all these other factors that do actually play a part but maybe are not considered so you know have you got any have you got any advice for those coaches who spend a lot of time doing that other than other than just telling them to look wider or farther um <laughs> away from the ball what would you what what how would you you know challenge them to maybe yeah, how would you how would you ask them to maybe encourage or how would you encourage them to challenge their perceptions around how how those wider players and even though even wider players have a greater impact on what's happening on the immediate action if that makes sense yeah and i think you know alex of five years ago would have said would i be mad about this on game day if they did it <laughs> with this you know assumption that i know exactly what a passage of players should look like because i was a 10 year old who played you know 10 a's um and I've learned better than that. But that's usually the first place we go as coaches is like, would I be upset if this happened on the weekend? Probably. And you can almost catch yourself in that experience and be like, okay, well, that's that's not the goal. It's not me imposing what I know about the game on these players. Would they expect this of themselves on game day? Do they feel like if they came up against this scenario, they would know how to solve this problem? And sometimes I find myself just stopping and asking, like, did that feel real to you like is that something that you would find yourself doing if I wasn't here or if we had a game on the weekend or if we were up against this opposition who we know does this particular thing do you feel prepared for that interaction and they will very quickly tell you no if you they have no idea what's going on but in other ways they might pick up on things that you didn't think about with that interaction so like you mentioned there are so many factors in play maybe their teammates are too close because you've set up the cones too close for this particular activity and they said why would i pass a team is pretty much in my pocket there's no advantage of me passing it to him and that's purely because i didn't take enough steps between when i was putting the cones down and they don't know that but i'm very aware of that now and i'm thinking more broadly about the space that's affording them different actions and so again my first port of call is always ask the players in the most open ways possible but secondly it's like is this passage of play something that I would expect of them on the weekend? Is it something that we would ultimately hope for in a particular scenario? And it doesn't have to be right or wrong. You, will, When they start moving, you'll see whether or not it is a functional solution or not. But you also have to ask where that solution is coming from. Is it something that they've created in response to a problem that you've set them? Or is it because you've told them exactly what solution to run and they're just mechanistically, robotically recreating it for you in front of you because you've set those boundaries a little too close and haven't given them any space to go further. Yeah, I, I think this is a great point because I think this is often the difference when I observe coaches in terms of uh, de de delivering practices or facilitating learning environments where they're manufacturing their successes. And it's almost a, you know, they can get away with saying, well, yeah, the players did really well today, yeah, but did they really? Or did the practice do it for them? Um, and I think it, it's just that piece that I think the biggest challenge for a lot of coaches in this in this type of approach more than anything is this could look messy. This could look messy. 
Um, am I prepared for that? Am I vulnerable? By, by, am I allowing myself to be vulnerable enough to accept that this could be messy and I haven't got control of it? And I think that's, for me, where I'd encourage coaches listening to is to try and get to get to the point where you don't feel like you need to have control of it, but you can still have a part to play in the development process by supporting and guiding where, where necessary without it necessarily being directed by you. Now, that's not to say that giving dire direction or command that sometimes isn't going to be beneficial and useful to players because sometimes it needs to happen and you know it, sometimes it, it is proven that it can be an effective effective tool for performance um just maybe not the most effective tool for learning so if we're going to utilize a command style approach if you like what are we supplementing with that to get the learning aspects of it so are we going through those effective q a's are we going through the the piece where we're searching for the information rather than seeking for answers from our reflections. I mean, the amount of times I'm probably sure, I'm sure you've seen it, Alex, as well, where you get, get to the end of a session, you see a coach. But, so what did we learn today? Did we learn about this? Did we learn about this? Well, I don't know. Let them answer that. Did they learn anything? Um, and it, it, it's such a frustrating thing to watch sometimes. It's like, well, let them tell you what they've learned. And they'll probably tell you nothing um, other than what you want to hear. And because you've heard it, you're satisfied as the coach. But actually, they're thinking, this guy ain't got a clue what he's talking about. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> no, I think you're onto something there. And so much of our coaching is like checkbox exercises. And I think it's because uncertainty is such an uncomfortable place to be as a coach when you have spent a lot of your time being the expert in a scenario. And to hand over the reins to somebody else, especially children, like can feel really uncomfortable. And I don't think our systems and our clubs are designed for people where you're the only coach doing it. And so if you stand out like a sore thumb, that's even worse and it makes you even less likely to try that sort of messy scenario. And I get called up for it all of the time. There are entire training sessions where I'm literally sitting on the ground and it might look like I'm doing absolutely nothing, but I am taking notes as to what that experience looks like from the ground. And in a sport like indoor cricket, where a lot of our sport is about hitting the ball directly into the ground and then up into the air where the fielders can't get them. It's amazing what your perspective looks like when you sit on the floor. Like I can see where that shot maybe isn't working or where the ball is bouncing more clearly because yeah. I'm on the floor. But I mean, to anybody else, it just looks like I'm slacking off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, 100%. I think it's, it's really key what you said there about you know, getting that different perspective. And I think one of the other, you know, bugbears of mine is like, well, as an example, if I'm coaching the, you know, the forwards in football to press, well, why am I standing behind the opposition? Why don't I stand behind <laughs> the forwards who are looking to do the press so I can see what, what you know, I'm never going to get a full picture of what they see. If I can get some insight of it, then I can be slightly more um, aware of some of the variables that they may have considered or may not have considered within their, within their approach to doing something. So I think that is really key and a good, good point to highlight. In terms of, you know, that, Coach, you know, the vulnerability piece that you talk, you know, we, we kind of talked about there and, you know, the environment's not being created for that. You mentioned, obviously, that we often as coaches, you know, we might spend a lot of time trying to establish ourselves as the expert. But I, I actually, the way I look at it is this, we might be the expert in the sport, but actually the players are experts on themselves. And I think that's where we need to start. If we can start to build those relationships and get the, get their insight on what they, you know, so one of the one of the recent things I've started doing maybe in the last year or so is I, I'm now asking players. Um, so, you know, what's one thing that I can do as a coach that's gonna, that, that you know is going to help you? Because if they've got the answer, why am I spending time exploring it? <laughs> you know what I mean? Just get to the heart of it. Cut, cut, cut the hard work out trying to do all the observation and start spending that time doing something else. Uh, if you're like, and being more efficient and impactful with my time. Cause you know, especially, especially if we're not working in an elite environment where we've got access to these players, maybe three or four times a week, um, maybe even more sometimes every second, you know, even in that environment, every second matters. So can we maximize it? Tell me what, you know, how, how have you approached that for yourself? <laughs> I mean, I prefer with the older generation. So I, my favorite age to teach is sort of like that 15 to 17 years old. Um, they will tell you straight up, um, but it has to be in a jovial way. So they don't feel like they are instructing you what to do because there's still a sort of unbalanced power dynamic. But also you have to be very open that what coaching is really about is supporting your development. 
spent. Like you might not reach all of the skill competencies that you think exist in this particular season that you've set out for yourself. And we need to work out why as early as possible so we can supplement that development. And for some people, because they have spent so much time in an environment where they have been told what to do and this is how it's going to happen and they're looking to you for answers, it is not useful to not give them anything in that in that scenario. It doesn't matter what my philosophy is in that particular scenario. And it took me way too long to realize that it is more important to meet the athlete where they are right now based on the experiences that they come to you with versus what you think is the optimum level of development because you will leave them behind by accident because you're sitting on your high horse. And that's not the point as a coach. Like I will obviously try to maximize every opportunity I can. That is my job in terms of supporting your development. But at the end of the day, if you're not ready or you're not there yet and you need something from me, if I haven't created a space where you can tell me, that's my bad. And at some point, I messed up. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and what you've said, it just sums up and reminds me of, of a, a conversation. I can't remember. I, I feel bad because I can't remember who it was with now. But they said something really, really positive for me to kind of hold on to was the easiest way to lead the athlete is to go to where they're at and come on the journey with them. Mm. Rather than pulling them along to where, you, where you're already at. <laughs> Um, and and I, it, it just it just it just made so much sense. Like, why would you not? Why would you not? You know I mean, because they don't if they don't know where they're going and where you're sending them is somewhere they've never been before. They're going to be apprehensive about it. Yeah. So can we kill kill any of that anxiety? Kill any of that apprehension? Kill any 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 sort of negative uh, emotion which might be affecting their ability to get to where you believe they can get to. And with you alongside them probably more likely to be able to do it as well rather than with you leading from in front if you like um mm. so nice no, i think it's, it's a, it was a great one that kind of stuck with me so alex skill acquisition <laughs> i think i think i, I think it's, i think it's a fascinating piece because like i said i think a lot of coaches maybe haven't even considered it and if they have they're probably thinking how does it happen mm. so to round up what would you say are some of the key considerations you want coaches to make straight away off the back of this that they can implement straight implement immediately? Yeah, I think the first thing would be start conversations with other coaches. And coaches that are completely beyond your field, the people that you're not really expecting to hear from, go to them first and ask them what they do. Um, because that perspective is just as important as you understanding what your athlete perspective is. Because it just exposes you to so many different ways of doing and being that you might not have considered before. Because your field of like vision is so narrow as a coach, and it's expected to be. You are supposed to be helping in this particular domain. Um, but that doesn't mean that... Every time we ask an athlete to sample a variety of sports, get as big a skill set as you can and learn as many things as you can. But I find coaches often do the opposite because any time spent away from your sport is not developing your craft. And we, we treat athletes and coaches so differently. And it's an irony that bugs me to this day. Um, but the second thing is to try and not necessarily read the journal articles because they can be a lot, but start a conversation with somebody who potentially is engrossed in that area. And I had the most fulfilling experience a couple weeks ago where a coach just really wanted to help his junior girls cricket team. And he didn't really know anything else, like nowhere else to go, had gone through all of the coach education he could, and he was still stuck with a few questions that nobody could answer. And so he literally just typed in women's cricket talent into Google and found my papers and called me. It was the best experience of my life. A real coach who's on the ground called me and be like, hey, I heard you're the like women's cricket talent skill person. Like, can you help me with my problem? And it was the best feeling in the world. So find somebody. We're actually not as scary as the journal articles make us out to be. Um, so, yeah, find somebody who you're very curious about, someone who writes things that make you pay attention to what you do in your daily life and connect with them because half of these conversations are the catalyst for change and we don't really have them enough because we want to spend more time in our own zone, in our in our comfort, um, rather than extending beyond that. And it's, it's so worth it to just, once you explain something to somebody else, you're like, wait a second, why do I do that in a particular way? 
I think it's such a such a uh, such a great message to kind of share there because the thing is, even even working in coach development myself, so the amount of people that have said to me, oh, you know that conversation that we had or that um, you know that discussion that I, I listened to that you had with this person or that person, it really started to make me think. And I think that 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 that's the key piece. Can you get in environments? Can you get around things and people and, and resources that make you think, make you challenge what you're doing? Not in a way to say that what you're doing is wrong just so you've got a bit more clarity on why you're doing it and the benefits it can have and whether you know there's even considerations you haven't made yet which can maybe extend the impact of what you're currently doing so I think that's the key piece to kind of really look at that, that. and I, I think that's I think that's fantastic the guy tracked you down and called you as well um was it, you know fair play to him you know he, he wants to make an impact and he said I'm going to go and find the information if it ain't going to be there for me so well you know fair play to him Alex um, honestly, you know, some fascinating, fascinating insights around some of the work that you yeah, you do and your thoughts around skill acquisition as a whole. And even just some key suggestions for coaches to kind of think about taking on board and applying straight away, which I think is really key for this, these type of conversations that we're having. Um, if people wanted to find out a little bit more about you, I'm sure you don't want to share your number, you know, the same way the guy got it. But um, <laughs> is there someone they can get in touch with you to do that? Yeah, absolutely. So I do spend a lot of time on Twitter to my detriment. Um, so Twitter is definitely the best place to go. Um, but I also have a um, work email at, and it's just my name. Um, so it's alexandra.lasku at canberra.edu.au, which I'm sure will probably be in the show notes as well. Um, yeah, but more than welcome to drop me in line and, and start these conversations. If anything, we're getting very good at creating online communities um, where we do share these conversations. And most recently, we actually jumped on a Twitter space, which is the first time I've ever used one of those. Um, and it was just a bunch of academics and coaches could come in, drop their questions in the chat, and we would address them so we do have one um, recently was on representative learning design so how to make training more representative of game day and I think we've got another one coming up on constraints led approaches so um, keep an eye out for those as well when is it when is that one because I, I did see the representative design one but I think I was really I, re I was really tied up in another conversation at the time that I couldn't <laughs> join it yeah, so the next one's probably happening at early November, um, but we haven't really set a date yet. Um, and of course, there'll be a ton of promo and stuff as well to get people onto the call live. Um, and we also record them. So they'll be out anyway as a recording um, if you want to catch back up and listen to it. Amazing. Amazing. Alex, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. And uh, keep helping people acquire that skill. <laughs> Will do. More learning, the better. There you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care.